Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. As we stand in the doctrine of God's word, we will experience the opportunity to display in love, excuse me, the gospel that has been entrusted to us. And if we really kind of look at that, and and I know not everybody has been here throughout the whole, uh, these first four weeks of 1 Timothy, but as we look at that, we stand in the doctrine of God's word. If you go back to the beginning of 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to really encourage Timothy to continue and to maintain the doctrine, the, the sounded truths of God's word and his teaching. And, and not only that, but to go and to, to teach the other leaders and to, to share with them and to encourage them to continue to maintain the faith, as many of them were kind of wandering away a little bit at that time in their teaching. And so, and, and, and as we do that, we will experience the opportunity to display in love the gospel that has been entrusted to us. And we've kind of went through a number of those things over the last few weeks, and this morning we're going to wrap up chapter number one, but I've entitled this this particular week, I've entitled the, the sermon today, The Fight of Faith. And as we look at that, the, the fight of faith, I would say for each and every one of us, in some way or another, God's word uh, has been real to us. Uh, you sit here and, and there's there's different things you could pull out of God's word that you would say maybe that's your your life verse or there's this or that. But I just kind of, I wrote down a few things this morning as we get into this, that God's word, it's so vital and so real to, it should be to all of us. I put this down. God's word is real and powerful. God's word says and that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word is breathed by God himself. It is, it is penned to perfection. Just think of the reality of God's word. Roughly 1,500 years of time that it took to write Genesis to Revelation. In 1,500 years, there is no contradiction. There is perfection. It wasn't because one man, one author uh, wrote that down, but over roughly 39 to 40 authors, as there's a couple books that we're not 100% sure as to who the author was, but roughly 39 to 40 authors, 1,500 years of a book of perfection. Pretty incredible. 2 Timothy says all scripture is inspired or breathed by God and is profitable. Today, I want us just to kind of take a look. And as we look at this, as, as I stated, just that statement there, as we, we looked at the beginning of chapter number one and the doctrines and the, the foundations and the teachings, God's word has got to be such a foundation and we have to believe it. We have to entrust it. We have to, we have to do all of these things. But some of the greatest things in God's word are, I, there's so many stories. I'm going to share with you just a couple of the stories that have always encouraged me. Some of them are almost one of those stories you just like, wow, how? How in the world did that happen? There's no way this is real human beings experiencing this type of a thing. And then I'll, I'll wrap this together within the introduction as we get into the points this morning, but... Think of some of these stories, and I hope you guys have some of your own that, that you're 
mind goes to this morning as I bring some of these out, but some of my favorite stories of, of just uh, God's goodness and his faithfulness. One of my favorite, favorite is Moses. Moses, when Moses went up to the mountain to meet with God, and as he came down, it says that he was glowing. He had a literal radiation about him, a literal glow about him that they, he had to eventually, they, they said he had to put a veil over his face because it was blinding the eyes of those that would see him. That blows my mind. If any of you walked into this room literally glowing, everybody, I, well, I don't know what you would do. I don't know what I would do. But what an incredible story to me. Something, I, I don't know, that's always been one of those things that, wow, he met with God and he was glowing with God. Moses leading the children of Israel through the parting of the Red Sea. How do you take a staff, hit it on the ground, the water parts, and it's dry all the way through? We live in the desert, and the ground dries pretty quick after the the rains come. But not like that. Just amazing. An incredible story. Joshua, walking around a city. There's some military folks in here. If your commander came to you and said, hey, this is how we're going to defeat the battle that we're at. We're going to start walking around them. We're not going to do anything. Put your your armor down. Just, hey, we're going to start walking around the city quietly. And at the end, we're going to blow a trumpet and it's all going to fall over. For one, as a citizen of the United States of America, I would probably have a problem with my military walking around hey, this is what we're doing now. I don't know that we're doing anything more now or not, but I'm sorry for all of you. I'm sorry, no. But really, think about that. All right, guys, this is what we're doing. We're going to attack this company. We're going we're gonna to defeat the enemy by being quiet and walking in circles. How about Gideon? Gideon going to the men Hey, you know what, guys? If you don't think you can handle this, why don't you just go ahead and go home today? Wait a second. So they went from 22,000 men or so down to 10. 12,000 of them left. God says to Gideon, Gideon, that's just a little bit too much. Why don't we go down to the river? Because there's no better way to choose army men that are going to fight than to see who's going to get on their knees and lap water to their mouth. There's no better way to find a real man, right? That's what he did. Down to 300 guys. That's crazy to me. And I'm sorry, if that's not crazy to you, then I would love to hear your idea of crazy and cool. Because that's nuts. Hey, let's go to fight. You know what? I want the manliest men out here. And we're just going to, hey, you're thirsty, one. All right, he didn't drink it the right way. Yeah, he didn't drink it the right way. That's what it was. It's just, it's faith and trust in God. 
And as we go through God's word, and as we go through stories, we can look at Paul in the New Testament and think of Paul being in jail. I've never been there. But think of Paul being in jail, praying with people and, and those, those people in jail becoming saved. But not just that. Think about him and, and his church back in their church buildings and in their homes just praying and praying, God, you got to do something. God, you got to do something. And earthquakes. And there they sit as the jail and everything is free. And he says, don't, don't go anywhere. And they listen. Just story after story throughout God's word of just incredible, powerful moments of God. I would look at all of those stories and for all of those men, I would assume maybe not directly in the moment, but those stories brought them to a place of what we would kind of consider a mountaintop experience with God. I'm going to assume Joshua had faith and maybe I'm wrong in this, but Joshua was a human being just like I am a human being and you are a human being. And Joshua probably said, okay, God, I'm going to do this. I'm trusting you. But somewhere in his mind, there was like, oh, what are we doing? Maybe I'm wrong. But when Joshua got done and those walls had fell down and and when Gideon got done and those 300 men defeated and won in battle and, and when Moses and the children of Israel got to the other side and they saw those things, there was a bit of a woo there was a mountaintop experience in their lives where they said wow like we looked at last week where the soldiers said truly this is the son of god somewhere in there they had to say wow this is really the god of all gods this is the king of kings this is god they had to get to that mountaintop experience you know what every one of us in this room have came to a place and had some type, I shouldn't say everyone, but most everybody in this room has had a mountaintop experience with God. Now yours may not have been slapping a stick and seeing the waters part. Yours may not have been where you were the leader of an army and say, hey, we're going to walk around and we're going to see God do something amazing. Yours may not have been something that was worldwide and everybody known, but here's, here's, here's what yours might have been. How about this for starters? Salvation. My guess is for those of you that have came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've given everything to Him, God, I need you to be the Lord of my life and here I am. I know I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to forgive me and and I'm giving you my life. I'm repenting of all of this and I'm giving it to you. You didn't go, God, thank you, and then go, oh man, this is the worst day of my life. Most of you, maybe you teared up. Maybe you got on the phone and you called a family member or a friend and this is what I just did. Maybe whatever it was, but there was an excitement, there was a joy, there was a passion immediately. Now, you may not have known what to do with it, but you were excited. Maybe yours was a, a job experience. Maybe it was leading somebody that you've been praying for to the Lord or seeing somebody that you've been praying for who did not know Christ come to the Lord and that was just a mountaintop experience. Maybe it was God performing some form of a miracle uh, with the health situation. Maybe it was God performing a miracle through a financial situation, through a family crisis. Maybe you sit here today and it wasn't too long ago that your marriage was completely on the rocks and you had no idea where to go and no idea where to turn and God changed the hearts of both of you and now you sit here a healthy couple serving God together 
mountaintop experiences are all throughout this room in some way, shape, or form. I know I can think of some in my life. Sometimes it wasn't going through it, but it was once I got to the other end, I'm like, holy cow, God, look what you did. You know, our church has experienced mountaintop experiences. As we look at the passage of scripture that we're going to talk about this morning, I want us just to kind of stop. I want us to think of a few things. Because I've titled it, The Fight of Faith. And everybody in here has those mountaintop experiences. But I remember sitting in chapel after chapel after chapel in a, in a church service over and over when I was in college. And Dr. Falwell would always make reference to this. You're either going into battle, you're coming out of battle, or you're on the top. You're in one of those places. And you go, well, how exciting is that? That's not really exciting. You were just talking about exciting things. But here's the reality. We're in the middle of a fight, and it's the fight of faith. And our mountaintop experiences quickly, oftentimes, become valleys. And in those valleys, sometimes we really don't know how to express ourselves. We don't know how to fight. We don't know how to continue to maintain. We don't know a lot of those things. When we're up on top, Satan, bring it. Right? Because I'm ready to go. If you play sports and you're in the zone, and it's yesterday, if you watch basketball, Villanova, they were just drop kicking the ball and it was going in. It didn't matter. They were in the zone. They had it. It was just that perfect game. I was listening. I didn't watch any of it. I was listening to an interview. I was on the road getting a tire fix. I was listening to an interview of the coach afterwards, and he says, we'll probably never have a game like that again. Basically what he said. You don't get that often. Hey, you know what? In our Christian life, when we're up there, we're ready to fight. And I have no problem taking on the enemy. Let's go. As weak and as small as I might be, when I'm in that moment, hey, let's go. But the reality is we come down off of that. And then we have to fight this fight of faith. We have to keep on keeping on. We have to do these things. And sometimes we just don't fully know, oh, uh, now what? What do I do next? And this morning, I'm not going to give you the, the, the greatest one, two, three of how to stay on the mountaintop. That's really not what this is. But what all of this is and what I'm kind of talking about and getting into this morning is the reality of this. We are in a fight. Each and every one of you are in a battle. You're in a fight. And here's the, here, I don't want to say the problem, but here is kind of the problem, I guess, in essence is so many times we don't understand and we don't realize that I'm in a fight. I cannot win something I don't know, realize I'm, I'm participating in. And so we, we get excited because God saved us. We get excited because we got to see something really cool. We get excited because church had a really great day. Or we get excited because of this. And we get excited because of that. And then then next thing you know, I'm down at the bottom and I'm going, well, what's going on? My life is falling apart. How am I supposed to do this? God, you couldn't have brought me to this place. You can't be who you are. The next thing we know, we're doubting the same God that two seconds ago, we were screaming and shouting and saying, woohoo! 
Is that not what happened in God's word? The children of Israel, they get through the water and what do they do on the other side? Well, why'd you bring us here? Where's my food? Moses is like, did you not just see what happened? That's all of us. If you have your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 1, if it's not already open, 1 Timothy chapter number 1, and we're going to be in the last three verses of this chapter this morning, and I pray that it will be an encouragement and a challenge to you this morning. Let's read verse 18, it says, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. According to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Father God, in these next few moments, I just ask that you would meet with us. I pray that your word would become alive to us. I pray, God, that it would be powerful in our lives, that we would, we would leave changed because of you, because of what you've spoke into us. God, maybe there's somebody that sits here today that does not know you. Maybe there's somebody that sits here today that may be like these two towards the end that, that are, are in that position of possibly just running away and leaving all of this behind. God, I do not know, but you know each one. And God, I ask that you would speak to each heart that's in this room. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Talking about mountaintops and our faith and and that we come down, we look at so many of those things. I kind of just hit on a couple of them. But let me ask you this question today. And I I hope that you grasp where I'm going with this, but the question that I was one of the questions that came to me throughout my study this week is this. Am I prepared to fight to the death? Are you prepared to fight to the death? I understand that that's not the most encouraging statement or question that I could ask you this morning. But in this Christian life that we're in, in this this battle that we're in, the fight of faith, am I willing, and I'm not saying, are you willing for me to stand there and put a gun to your head? Do you love, do you love Jesus? Are you going to, no, I'm not, I'm not, that's not where I'm going with this. But am I really, am I in it? Do I love God enough? Have I given my life enough that I would say, you know what, God, I understand that I'm in a fight and I'm here till the end. And in the middle of the the lows, I'm going to continue to fight. And in the highest of the highs, I'm going to continue to fight. And and I'm going to do all that I can. And I'm going to surround myself with people that are going to fight with me and fight for me. And I'm, I'm here and I'm willing and I'm ready to fight to the death. And as I was going through some of those things, I, I go through this thought of, if am I really, am I prepared? Am I, am I really fighting this? Am I, am, I, am I recognizing? I looked at a couple questions. One of them asking to you, myself, do I know the need to seek forgiveness and repentance in my life and to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord and Savior of my life? 
to understand the fight that I'm in, I had to initially go back to the basics of, okay, what is this fight? Well, am I in this fight? Have I accepted Christ? Do I, do I know that? Do I, have I sought repentance? Have I done those things? If I have, then am I aware that I am in the battle that I'm in? Am I aware? Am I personally aware? Are you personally aware that I'm not just, listen, God's word says that this isn't a, a battle of flesh and blood, but against principalities of the air in Ephesians. This isn't just, and again, I'm not speaking of we're going to have guns and I don't want you to go home and carry all your guns and bring them out and say, come on, bring it. I'm ready to fight. No, that's not what we're talking about today. And I'm not going to get into Ephesians 6 and all those things, but, but the reality is we, we have, I have to recognize, hey, I'm in the middle of a fight. God's word tells me right here in, in Timothy to war a good warfare. So am I aware? Today, if not more than ever, we, one, have to preach a real salvation. That those that come to Christ recognize and understand what salvation is. I believe in many of our churches today, we teach a false reality of salvation. I wish I could stand here today and say, listen, if you come to Christ... All this is about is you're going to have a life of greatness. And you're going to be better tomorrow than you are today. And your finances will be fixed and your marriages will be fixed. And and all of these things are going to be fixed. And it's all going to be worked out because God's going to save your soul. And it's going to be amazing. Listen, I'll say this. All of those things can happen. All of that is true. God is amazing and God can fix your marriage and God can help you with your finances and God is is all of those things. But I'll promise you this, when you join and when you join in that battle, when you accept Christ as your Savior, people need to realize and people need to understand it's not just a, hey, Jesus come into my life and God is great and everything is perfect. And I think often in our churches we kind of package it like, Hey, let's let's say this prayer and make sure that you know that you're a sinner and and God's going to save everything. I think we need to. And you might sit here and go, "Well, that's not very encouraging. You're not really selling this Christianity thing very well today." But my goal is not to sell Christianity. My goal is not to sell you on why you should be at Oasis Baptist Church or why you should be in church or why you should love God's word, why you should do. That's not my goal. I'm not, I'm not a salesman. To be real honest, I'm probably the worst salesman in all the world. I've tried it. I'm not good. But I am going to tell you that one, we're in a fight. One, it's real. And we've got to keep pressing on. But I have to recognize I'm in the fight. I have to recognize the salvation that I have. I have to recognize that, yes, God is good, that, yes, all of those things are true. But we have to recognize that. And I have to, and I think more than maybe, I I hate saying more today than ever before, but the enemy is real and the enemy wants you. The enemy is real and the enemy wants you. And if he hasn't, stopped you from knowing Christ as Savior, then he sure as ever wants to stop you from sharing it with anybody else that's around you. 
And he sure as ever wants to ruin your testimony. And he sure as ever wants your children not to know and love what you know and love. And he sure as ever wants to destroy everything that he can destroy so that the message does not continue to go forward. The enemy is real. You say, well, but, but that's just, some of that's just Bible talk and we try to, no. You know where he wants to destroy? He wants you not to come to Christ. Do you know where else he wants you to destroy? He wants to ruin your testimony. Do you know what else he wants to do? He wants to ruin your home. Let me ask you this question real quick. Do you think the home in America has issues today? Has he worked and has he, has he doing a good job of winning that war? It is. And it's just as high inside of the church as it is outside of the church. The divorce rate and the issues that are going on. He's fighting the fight and we're going, oh, but it's not really for me today. No, the fight is real. The fight is real. The war is on. And it started a long time ago. And we today need to keep it up. We need to keep it up. We need to fight this fight. So as I get into this this morning, a couple points. The first one being this, the fight is beyond you. The fight is beyond you. Have you ever, have you ever been into something and you're like, wow, this is just bigger than me. Maybe you've taken a job and you're like, this is over my head. This is just, this is a lot bigger than me. I've been there. You kind of just scratch your head and go, okay, I don't really know what's next, but I'm going to keep going. It's literally a inch by inch. And you're like, I'm hoping I'm doing the right thing. It's bigger than us. Hey, the fight that you are in as a Christian, the battle that you're in with your mind, the things that we face every day is bigger and beyond you. How exciting is that? You're like, yay, thanks. No, but here's the exciting part of it. Because it's beyond you, it's one intentional. God puts you in a place where you will depend on yourself. No, where you will depend on him. Joshua couldn't walk around those walls and said, hey, this is what we're going to do, and they're all going to crumble. Couldn't have happened. Gideon could not have won a war with 300 people. Could not have happened. Moses could not have taken a staff and slapped it upon the water. Moses could not have taken a staff and hit a rock and made water come out of it. We could not. Those things could not happen. Moses, the, one of the greatest stories crossing the Red Sea. Hey, follow me. Follow me. We're going over here. And all of a sudden, where did they get? Right to the edge of the water. Who was behind him? The, the enemy. They were dead. Moses, what does he do? He cries out to God. God wants us beyond ourselves where we have to rely on him. Paul commanded Timothy. You know what? Sometimes it's it's not even, and I don't mean this in a, in a disrespect or a disregard. Sometimes it's not even you and me recognizing that God has my back. Sometimes it's just recognizing that you have my back. You know what? Sometimes it's nice to know that my wife is fighting for me. 
Sometimes the greatest encouragement that I get is from one of you when you say, Pastor, I was praying for you today. Sometimes the greatest encouragement that I can have is when one of you says to me, Pastor, that sermon was perfect for me today. Pastor, I trust whatever you said and I'm believing and I'm behind you. Sometimes it's not the reality of, yes, God is with us. God is fighting for us and God is, but sometimes, I'm just going to be real, sometimes I lose sight of that because I just don't see God every single day. Though I see God in everything every single day. Are you kind of following me? Sometimes I can lose sight of that. But when one of you send a text message, Pastor, I was praying for you. It brings me back, wow, somebody has my back. It's, It's beyond me. Think about this. Paul to Timothy. Paul to Timothy. 15, 20 years difference in age, whatever it would be. And Paul goes to Timothy and says, Timothy, I trust you and I am commanding you to go and to do this. Timothy had to have said, holy cow, what did I get myself into? But at the same time, Timothy had to also say, he believes in me. Has anybody ever believed in you? Sometimes when somebody believes in you and you just need that one person to say, hey, I believe that you can do this. For me, I was fortunate. I had parents that that believed in me. They allowed me to do things and, and try things. But there was also people on the outside that encouraged me and said, Aaron, hey, I believe in you. There's people in this room that have said, Aaron, I believe in you. Three years ago, there was a group of about 70 or so people that sat in a room on the Russell property that voted, yes, Aaron, I want you to be our pastor. We believe in you. You might go, well, that's silly. No, it's not. You know what would have been, just put yourself in the situation. What if about three quarters of that people said yes and the other said no? I'm now going, oh, do I have this? Does this church want it? But when people say, hey, I believe in you, it means something. It's beyond you. Sometimes the fight is beyond you. And and yes, we recognize that God is all, the God Almighty is, is with us, but Here, Paul says, I charge or I command you, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Paul says to Timothy, hey, my son, hey, I believe in you. Hey, I trust that you can do this. I'm giving you this charge. I'm giving you this command. I'm committing this to you because I know that you can do it. It was beyond him. It's good to have a confirmation from those that you respect, from those that you admire, from those that you look up to, and they confirm what you kind of sense in your spirit. 
Sometimes it's more that confirmation that you need than anything. But here it's, that fight is beyond us. It is beyond who we are. The next one is the fight is within you. The fight is within you. This fight isn't fought alone. It's exciting for me to know that the Holy Spirit, the most importantly, is is with me. But to know that there's been a confirmation in my life, to know that there's others that have said, hey, I believe in you, I trust in you, I'm praying for you, I'm behind you, whatever it is. And you can put those things in your perspective, uh, in your situations. But it is good to know those things. But here's at the same time what we must recognize and that what we must understand. Because in verse 19, well in verse 18 he charges him to, to war a good warfare. But in verse 19 he kind of does the how, how is this going to happen? He says in verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience. That fight is within you. I can believe in you all that I want, but if you're going to sit on your backside and do absolutely nothing, it does me no good to believe in you. That doesn't mean I quit believing in you, but it doesn't take me anywhere. It doesn't take you anywhere. In our Christian life, listen, I can accept Christ as my Savior. At the end of the day, I have to put my faith and trust and live the Christian life. There's this free will thing and and, and God has challenged me to be obedient. God challenged all the people in the Bible to be obedient. We love these stories and we say, well, Moses is this and Gideon is this and and Timothy and Paul and, and Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and we can go through all of those names and they were incredible men and blah, blah, blah. But you can't take one thing out of there. There's one thing that God has been very, 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 very sure about and, and, and sound in is there's an obedience and with obedience comes this. One of my favorite passages of all times is Proverbs chapter 2. And it's one of those, if this, then this. If this, then this. If this, then this. That's God's word all throughout scripture. If I'm obedient, here's the, the, I don't want to say reward, but there's the reward. Because sometimes my obedience doesn't mean that I'm rewarded how we would think that rewards are, are rewarded. But it always comes back to us. It's an inward thing. And so as we look at this this morning for the next couple of moments, we must hold fast to the revealed truth of God's word. When this says holding faith, he is talking specifically and directly about the word of God. Remain loyal to the objective body of God's word. Our first and foremost part of this battle that we are in is the word of God. We must remain faithful, unwavering in devotion to God's word. First Timothy, or or Timothy was told, if we go through just a couple of these passages here in Timothy, chapter 6 and verse number 20, I believe it's up on the screen. Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. 
But what is he saying at the very beginning of that? If you can go back to that. At the very beginning, committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain blatting. Did I write the wrong one up there? I apologize if I did. Um, no, I'm sorry. That's what I was right. Keep to that which was committed. Keep to the, what was committed to him. The doctrines, the teachings, the foundations of God's word. Usually I, I write all these out and I apologize. I didn't on my notes this morning. But in verse number six, chapter number four and verse number six, he says, in verse number 20, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt, shalt be of a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the word. What is he saying? Nourished, fed, kept within. That's, we should be feeding and thirsting on God's word. That is our nourishment. That is what that faith is. And so as we look at this passage and we look at these things, it says, hold faith. Hey, here's what it is to you and here's what it is to me. We've got to be solid and sound in God's word. I have to hold the faith of God's word. Listen, do you know the reality is, and I can, I can, this is probably the most, the worst thing to say in a church service. God has never said to any of us, you better hold faith to your doctrine or your, your church. He commands us to fellowship with one another and he commands us to, to be with one another, to be together with one another. But here's the foundation of your walk with God is not Oasis Baptist Church. It's not the local church. The foundation of your walk with God is the word of God. As you build and grow on the word of God, you desire to be with others. You desire to be challenged. You desire to be taught. My job is to encourage that and to challenge that and to partner with you in those things. But it has to go back to the foundation of God's word. Hold the faith, Timothy. Hey, for you and I, hold the faith. Hey, in the middle of the war that we're in, in the middle of the fight we're in, I could tell you a number of different things. Hey, look what he did, and look what he did, and look what he did, and here's my story, and here's John's story, and here's Joe's story, and here's Sue's story. Here's the reality. You have your own story, and you've got to found it right here in God's word. That's what's going to keep you going. I might help. My story might encourage you. But at some point or another, if you don't have your own story of faith, you're going to start going, well, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. Hey, I can only hold on to the coattails of mom and dad's faith for so long until I have to say, hey, this is my thing. Hey, as a church, I can only hold on to some of the cool stories of Oasis Baptist Church. And we have a lot of cool stories of Oasis Baptist Church. But I can only hold on to the tent story for so long. I can only, and some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But I can only hold on to the, to the Wednesday night service where we just prayed out onto the basketball court on DI. I can only hold on to some of those things. I can only hold on to that for so long until it has to become my story. And I have to hold on to that faith. You have to hold on to that faith. And where is it found? Right here. Holding on to the faith is holding on to God's word. Listen, I love you being here. I, I really do. And I hope that you'll bring people with you. And I hope that we'll see people come to know Christ and that we'll get on board and we'll, we'll get back to some of the things that we're striving to do. But, but here, here's what it is. 
if this church is built on Aaron Flanagan, I want nothing to do with it. I really don't. If you come here because of me, I love you, but you're here for the wrong reason. If your walk with God is I went to church on Sunday morning and it was a really cool sermon and he challenged me, thank you, I'm glad I can challenge you. But this is where it's at. I want to encourage you. but I'm not your God. Nor do I desire to be. And if you want that, that's a scary place to be because I'm a mess. But he says what? He says, holding faith. And then it says this, and of a good conscience. It wasn't long ago I spoke of consciousness back at the beginning of 1 Timothy. But that we must remain blameless in our life. Our conscience, this, this was so real to me as I was studying this week. Our conscience is to the soul what pain is to the body. Our conscience is to the soul what pain is to the body. I played softball Friday night. I have a pain in my shoulder that has not gone away. It's telling me something. I don't know yet what that is, but it's telling me something. Because different motions and different movements really hurt. It's telling my body, hey, you need to fix that. The conscience that God has given to us tells our soul something. It accuses or excuses. It produces feelings of well-being. It produces feelings of peace, contentment, and calm when our behavior is good. But when our behavior isn't good, it gives us guilt, shame, remorse, fear, doubt, insecurities. It's an internal warning device for each and every one of us is what this conscience is to us. When I'm doing something wrong, and I know I'm doing something wrong, my conscience tells me that. When I'm doing something that I should not be doing physically, the pain in my body says, hey, you might want to reconsider. Don't lift any more weights for the rest of your life. No, but the pain tells our physical body, hey, there's something there. The conscience tells our, our soul, our spirit, that there's, there's something there. We must live with that good conscience. Paul was always anxious, and he said it multiple times, but to have a clear and a clean and a pure and a good conscience, and he desired to have that same thing for Paul or for Timothy. It should be our desire as well. Doctrinal purity must be accompanied by purity of life. It should be inseparable with truth and morality, between right belief and right behavior. Most often, theological error has root in moral failure. I'm not speaking sexual moral failure, but moral failure. Because here's what often takes place. I've got this thing in my life that I probably know is wrong, 
but I'll take God's word and I'll make sure that I'm okay based on that. Do we follow that? And when I try to make an excuse using God's word, it creates a theological doctrinal problem, but I will then take that and I will teach that to somebody. Or I will say, well, it's, it's okay because this is what God's word says here. Listen, there's a lot of things in God's word that if I just take that one word out of that passage of scripture and I want to preach on it, I can really mess up a lot of people and a lot of things. And oftentimes our, our theology is messed up because we don't want to correct our morality. And so we, we try to adapt our theology to meet my morality. Just walk around church. I probably should not say this, but how many men are pastors standing behind the pulpit that have completely forgot a passage of God's word that says one man, one wife. Divorce and remarriage of the pastor that's standing behind a pulpit. I know that that's not really cool to say in 2016, but the reality of God's word is God's word is very clear about divorce and remarriage and the pastor standing behind a pulpit. But what have we done? We have allowed our theology or our morality to change our theology so that it meets for me okay today. Well, this is what I want to do. No, it doesn't matter what I want to do. Listen, it doesn't matter what you want to do. Our theology ought to be based on God's word, not my morality. If it's based on my morality, it's wrong. So my good conscience has to be him. It has to be God's word. It has to be the faith of God's word. I absolutely love this, and I've got one very short point that leads me right into the the invitation this morning. The person who has a guilty, accusing conscience is terribly handicapped in doing the Lord's work. He might be able to put on a good front and brazen things out out for a while, but he has no real power because he doesn't deceive the Holy Spirit. Think about that. That's a punch in the gut to any of us that serve God, or it ought to be. It ought to be a red flag thing of, of like, okay, am I, going, am I doing okay? Am I serving right? Do I have a good conscience? I'm going to say it again. The person who has a guilty, accusing conscience is handicapped in doing the Lord's work because he might be able to put up a good front for a while, but he has no real power because he cannot deceive the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. lastly this morning is why fight the fight? Why am I fighting this fight? And in verse 19 and towards the end it says, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Of whom is Hamanius and and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Here's, Here's kind of what this is and here's how I want to wrap this up this morning. I want to fight the good fight. One, because I want to I want to remain faithful to God. I want to be I want to be as a faithful servant as I can be. But here, this this is a, a scary, scary thing that I want to stay pure and I want to stay in this fight. Why? Because I don't want to be one of those guys who you stand by and say, "Man, he used to be on fire for God. He used to love Jesus with everything that he did. 
He used to do this and he used to preach with power and he used to and he used to and he used to. I remember serving along that, alongside of that person. I remember seeing God do amazing things in them. I remember, I remember, I don't want to get to a place where you look at me and say, man, Pastor Aaron used to. I want to fight the faith, fight the, the good fight. I want, to, I want to be in the midst of this with you with others coming along for a long time and not having you say, but man, I remember when Pastor Aaron used to be this, but now I don't even know if he goes to church anymore. I don't know if his family serves the Lord. Hey, as a father, I'll be real, real honest. I want to stay in the fight because I don't want to have to look down the road one day and say, I wish I wouldn't have my kids maybe would still be in church. Hey, I can't make decisions for my kids when they're 17, 18, 19, 20 years old and they may walk away from the faith and I pray that they don't. But I don't want them to look at dad and say, dad, you really blew it. And now I carry that weight because I chose to not keep the fight. I chose not to be faithful to the word of God. I chose to not have a good conscience. I chose to do some of those things. Hey, why do I need to fight the fight? Because I don't want to be spiritually shipwrecked, as this is saying. I don't want to lead you to a place where we're not doctrinally sound in this church. I don't want to see people fall away. Listen, I know it's the nature of the beast and I understand that it's human nature and there's a lot of things with this, but I'll be real, real honest. It hurts me to see people who were once serving no longer serving. Can I say this? It ought to hurt you. It ought to hurt you. Hey, if you look around today and you say, man, the guy that used to sit next to me, I remember him. I wonder where he's at. You know what you might want to do? You may want to pray, but you may want to pick up a phone and say, hey, haven't seen you in a while. Because though I am not to blame for Johnny or Susie or whoever who walks away from the faith, I sure don't want to be looked at and say, but you didn't do anything about it. Why? Why is this fight worth it for me? Why do I want to continue to fight? There's a lot that goes into this passage of scripture and for sake of time, I'm not going to dive into verse number 20. But he says... He gives two names and he says that he delivered them unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. That can be looked at as, wow, that's harsh. How can Paul just give somebody over to Satan? That's really not what he's saying, but basically in a nutshell, what that is is 
and we don't use this word often today in 2016, but that's an excommunication from the church. Hey, I've given you warning. I've given you warning. I've given you warning. I've taught you. You cannot teach that doctrine. You cannot do those things. You cannot have those things. Matthew 18 speaks very pure or plain of that. Hey, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to confront you and then I'm going to bring somebody and we're going to confront it. We're going to deal with it. We're going to deal with it. And at some point you have to say, enough is enough. You are not. You're no longer welcome here. That does not eliminate somebody coming back to God. That is not any of those things. But at some point you have to say, boom, you are not welcome in this fellowship. Because we cannot have that here. It's not according to God's word. And I understand, today that's not something that's very often done in churches today. Maybe it ought to need, need to happen more, I don't know. But the reality is this, that's what Paul was saying. Hey, he was writing and he said, hey, those guys have been that. We don't, we don't want that. Let me challenge or encourage this morning. There's a lot that's here. There's still really a lot more that I could hit on with those last couple verses, but let me just ask you. I started with looking at God's word and just the 39 to 40 people writing as authors in 1,500 years and the perfection that it is and all of those things. Then the challenge of, or just the encouragement of knowing that I'm not alone in this. I have God, I have the Holy Spirit who's encouraged, who's empowering me and who's encouraged me and who strengthens me and, and I have that, but I have you who are, who are my strength in many regards and who are my encouragement and who are people that are confirming But then we take it a little bit further. Not only do I have that from those on the outside encouraging and strengthening, but I have to do something. I have to make a decision. You have to make that choice. Where are you on holding the faith? Speaking specifically to God's word is what this passage is talking about. How are you with your conscience and you and God? Those are things between you and God. You holding the faith is you and God. You having that conscience is you and God. Let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. One, this church has your back as much as I can have and we can have your back. I believe in you. We believe in you. But how are you holding the faith? Dad, How are you holding the faith in your home? How are you handling the good conscience? How are you doing those things? Because here's the fear. If I'm not doing that, I become the one who is shipwrecked and just kind of cast off. Every person in this room Know somebody who used to sit beside you at a church who no longer darkens the doors of a church any longer. You know what they lost? They stopped holding the faith. They gave in to the conscience. And they said, you know what? God, I don't, you've not held your bargain. You've not held your end of the bargain, God. 
God, you said that I would have a life of abundance. And God, you said this. And God, you said that. And we got off the mountaintop and we went to the valley and we didn't know what to do. And the excitement was gone. And here I am all by myself. And I stopped holding the faith. And I stopped doing my part and it becomes his issue. Because he didn't withhold his end of the bargain. Because I wasn't willing to fight to the end. Let me challenge you this morning. Are you willing to fight the good fight of faith? Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.